Hey there, I'm Osman Faruqi and welcome to The Culture, a weekly show from Schwartz Media where we take a deep dive into the latest in the world of music, streaming, TV, film and everything in arts and entertainment. Today on the show we're talking hip-hop, specifically the local scene here in Australia. Hip-hop is the biggest musical genre in the world right now and one of the fastest growing locally. But here in Australia, it still feels like it hasn't quite broken through and taken over the mainstream yet in the way that it has overseas, especially in the United States and the UK. Acts like the Hilltop Hoods and Bliss and SO did help popularise Australian hip-hop back in the mid-2000s, but... While they were achieving big commercial success, there was a much grittier and more raw kind of hip-hop that was coming out of housing commissioner states in Sydney and Melbourne. That kind of music was known as gutter rap or lad rap, and it was an underground subgenre that never saw much airplay, didn't sell a heap of records, but it did influence a generation of artists who are redefining hip-hop in Australia today. Joining me on The Culture to discuss the history of Australia's underground hip-hop scene and how it feeds into the music being made right now is writer, journalist and contributor to The Saturday Paper and the monthly Mahmood Fazal. Thank you for coming on the show. Pleasure to be here. All right, let's just jump straight in. And you can't really talk about hip-hop right now without talking about what is one of the biggest categories of the genre, drill rap. It's probably the most popular kind of hip-hop being made right now all over the world. Uh, It came out of the Chicago rap scene, but Drill is also huge in parts of Australia. You made a documentary about a Western Sydney Drill group called One Four. Tell me about them and how you ended up making this doco. So this guy I'd been speaking to who'd just been released from Juvie played me Shanks and Shiv's on his phone. Which is a 1-4 track. Which is a 1-4 track. And I just remember having the kind of same visceral feeling I had in primary school when I heard Tupac for the first time because... All of a sudden, my immediate environment or the environment that I'd been raised to around uh, kind of came into focus. They were guys that dressed like I used to dress in tracksuits and Nike TNs, and um, they were just really eloquent with their lyrics. Them boys, they tweet like Twitter. Heard there's dogs on the field. Everyone link up quick, get in a car and grip that steel. We wore like swords and shields. That's our day right for the snap, cause my team, we ride for the kill. Trying to drill them boys like, shh, the way his blood got spilled. Shanks and shields. I swear that's all we need. Rapping about the brutality that was familiar to us. Um, so I was really shocked and mesmerized and so I wanted to shoot something with them right away. You mentioned Tupac and to me the one four story is very similar to that early wave of of rap in America in the nineties where mm. you did have police cracking down on artists for what they were rapping about. And that's kind of what we were seeing with One Four. 
We're, we're Australia's first and only dual group. <laughs> yeah. The, what makes us a dual group is that we actually do what we rap about. So the documentary was essentially more about the place that they'd come from and how that fueled or inflamed the brand of music they were putting out, which was very, very violent, unabashedly. Well, we've learned through music and business and that, like touring is where you want to be and what you want to do. But what's been holding us back is like the boys' legals, you know? The boys are going, we've got, we got some boys that, that do rap and I at court at the moment. Yeah, it's also. All the boys, you know, all the boys in the system doing the hard. But don't worry, you know, we'll all be home soon. Hundred, bro. Yeah. It was important to not go into that because so much of Australian hip-hop hasn't been given the attention it deserves and it's only really given the attention when it's through something negative, you know, mm. like, like a crime or mm. something. Um, that's when people pay attention. Not the fact that we made this documentary about them and it got like a million views. And the music that they were putting out was getting like millions and millions of listens. So there was obviously something going on, yet we still weren't paying attention and we weren't willing to pay attention until we, until it made sense. And for most people, it made sense when they committed a crime, mm. which I found really kind of offensive. In one four are without a doubt one of the biggest rap groups in the country right now. They're also enormously popular overseas, particularly in the UK. The kind of music they're most known for is drill. Uh, for, for the sake of our listeners who might not be as across the ins and outs of rap subgenres as you and I, can you explain exactly what drill is? Well, drill started in Chicago. Um, it was basically. Uh Rappers like Chief Keef. Offering really violent lyrics uh, and depictions of street culture uh, in really bare-knuckle ways. And, and, and some critics have said that, you know, they kind of are literally uh, addressing different gang feuds in their music, and that's why it's controversial. When did it kind of cross over into Australia and where has it landed here? It crossed over to Australia via UK. So Chicago Drill took off in the UK. And then from the UK, it blew up here maybe two or three years ago with acts like One Four and Hooligan Hefts. The majority of the scene grew out of Western Sydney and uh, it's kind of divided by the inner West and the greater West. And you've also written a lot about the history of lad rap, which is another hip hop subgenre which I think has quite strong ties to drill. It, you could say that it's kind of the predecessor of the current wave of drill music in Australia. That scene, the lad rap scene, really originated in Sydney during the 1980s. Can you can you break down its origins and how you think 
it's kind of come to influence the modern wave of Aussie hip hop we're hearing and seeing right now. The whole subculture is kind of rooted in uh, what's called Eshe culture, which is a term that even the Daily Mail likes to throw in their headlines yeah, now. Right. It began as a subculture called Urching, which was essentially uh, started in Sydney around suburbs like Waterloo, Redfern and Woolloomooloo in the 1980s, where young gangs or crews, urching crews would get together and basically, you know, commit crimes to make money break and enter crimes. They were searching for money, urging. They would speak in pig Latin to avoid police. And a lot of that language is steeped in a lot of the hip hop that we listen to today coming out of Western Sydney. Sort of ironic they spoke in pig Latin to avoid the police. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and then from that, they would graffiti the names of their crews, these break and enter crews in suburbs. And then suddenly it started becoming more involved in graffiti. And then once the graffiti subculture kind of mixed and meshed in that scene, it naturally led to hip hop where people, you know, you kind of had to have a presence on the train lines through your graffiti before you could have a voice in hip hop in this scene to be validated in, in Australian hip-hop, in the underground, you kind of had to have authenticity in the graffiti world. And so who were some of the um, the rappers from that era that you think really, I guess, exemplify that wave of lad rap? It all began in kind of 2005 where this mythical guy called Sones or Sones, um, the leader of the most notorious Urcher crew, HR, introduced an Indigenous female rapper named Sky High, to Skis Laurent, she was kind of one of the originators of this whole scene. Together with Schemo's younger brother, they founded the Sydney Searchers, and that was the first group to represent the Urcha subculture, and they gave it its own name, which was Gutter Rap. The OG kind of Western Sydney sound was heavily inspired by Southern trap music like Pimp C, Scarface, Bun B, um, Three Six Mafia. And then from that, it gave rise to artists like Cursor, um, who started charting and actually created something of a scene that of selling out shows and things like that. But in Melbourne, um, the sound was different. It was more inspired by New York rappers. It was grittier. It was still a bit more underground and a bit, yeah, a bit more shady. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The way that you're describing these artists, their backgrounds, the kind of music they make, it feels so much more similar to the kinds of music from London, from New York, from LA, that wasn't just popular there, but crossed over and was popular here, right? So mm. throughout the 2000s, you have Australians listening to pretty gritty rap from the US, from London, mm -hmm. but neglecting the local stuff here. What, why do you think there was that disconnect? 
I think it's something deeply embedded in the cultural psyche of Australia, to be honest. And it makes me think about when um, when I turned 18 and my cousins took me out um, for my birthday and uh, we went to a fine dining restaurant. And um, I already love where this story's and, going. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I bought myself a Burberry shirt and, um, you know, we were, all, we were all dressed up. A few of my older cousins had their Rolexes on. We were ready to have a great night. We get to this steak joint and... You could just feel the atmosphere of the room move and like people kind of laughing at us. And it was like, you know, we did our best to look the part and fit in. But, you know, maybe we were trying so hard, but we were just on the other side. Like we didn't fit in. It was like we were a joke or something. Um, but you kind of, the room, although we, we were as good as anybody in that room, mm. um, we were being looked down upon. Um, for who we were, which is something we, we can't escape. And I think that's the way maybe journalists today treat drill music. It's like this weird way of thinking. Like we applaud positive representation of diversity. Mm. Like we think it's really amazing that Baker Boy can do all these fun dance moves and rap really eloquently about his experiences and stuff like that. But we don't want to hear about the shootings, the imprisonment or gangs, even though it's more popular. We mm-hmm. don't want to write about it. We don't want to address it because it's negative. It's a negative representation of diversity. And it's like we're not ready to to accept that we're responsible for that or something. And um, it's, it's completely fucking bizarre because the, there's a huge population of people in this country um, and their experiences haven't been positive. Mm. They've been negative. Mm. And it's this music that helps them make sense of that and deal with that and realise that, okay, like, this is how it is in areas of Queensland. It's how it is in Adelaide. It's how it is in Western Sydney. Like, even before before this huge explosion in Oz Hip Hop, I didn't realise that the same problems that I, were in my community were literally happening in the exact same ways in all these other communities throughout Australia, mm. from NT to Perth to everywhere, and we all dress the same, we all look the same, what, what, we all speak the same. What, what, what's happening in these communities? And it's not art. And that, that's why it's so fucking condescending when you have the authorities be like, oh, it's because hip-hop's inflaming this this culture. It's like... No, it's it's not. It's that's condescending. It's or everything else that's led to this. Hip hop's just become the mouthpiece. I think. Mm. Yeah, well, everything you're saying, it's making me think of um, like I think part of this issue is that Australia, and when I say Australia, I mean sort of like elite Australia that shapes narratives about itself, that decides what culture gets to be made and lauded, has a vision of itself that has never been true. The projection of Australia of this massively, predominantly, overwhelmingly Anglo country where everyone is white and blonde and blue-eyed and has shrimps on the barbies and, you know, it's neighbours and home and away. Yeah. 
That, one, is not true and has never been true of Australia, but two, is the only stories that were allowed to be told. So it is not just the external perception of Australia, it gets refracted back in. So mm. Australians think that's what Australia is. And if you're then compounding that by living in suburbs that are effectively like racially segregated, right, you're not seeing black or brown people, you're not yeah. seeing people from you who know, have had a different kind of life to you. And so when you think that that is what this country is, when you're confronted by the kind of art that you're talking about, you dismiss it. This is not this is not real stuff. This is some crazy thing on the fringe. I don't need to pay attention to it. It's also this awkward thing about people who assume some sort of authority and power like in in a kind of colonial context when they see people on screen who are more successful than them. Mm. It makes them kind of uncomfortable because we live in a society that's structured to see people like that fail. Mm, mm. And so there's this weird thing where it's like, oh, we don't know how to deal with this. How can we talk about this? Why? It's just there's, there's too much going on. I think that that is right. And I think it's all these, these lines that are created, right? It's like whether it's sports people or artists, we're happy for people from different backgrounds, from more diverse backgrounds, particularly black and brown people, to perform really well, to succeed, mm. we, sh- we will love them for that. The second they use the platform to make us think about Australia. In a different context. In a different context yeah. where like, oh, hang on, no, no, you can sing and dance, but you got to shut the hell up. Yeah, and you certainly can't project that to the world. Yeah, and so I think then that goes also to the heart of what the content is in, in these kinds of songs and in these kinds of tracks. It's not just that these people look and sound different to what uh, mainstream Australia expects. It's that they are talking about the structural problems of our society. They are forcing people in power to confront what it means to live in a carceral state, to what it means to Mm. live in a system where you are born into a life of poverty because of your race, because of your geography, because of the structural inequalities. And that is not, that's radical and that's confronting. It's so different to what most mainstream Australian art has been. And I think is terrifying to, to people in power, to be honest. Mm. Uh, I've interviewed a lot of people, young boys involved in gangs, and it's not the hip-hop that inspires them. There's a, there's this recurring motif of shame. Mm. Like shame is the thing that makes them do bad things. Like one of the rappers who's currently in, in Supermax told me, it was like, you know, getting searched in front of his younger brother constantly mm. made him a violent person, mm. you know. The over-policing of his community of the commission homes in, in Redfern back in the day, that's what, that's what made people behave badly. It wasn't listening to DMX. Totally. And, and you know, when, when you're talking about that, I mean, that's something that 1-4, as an example, talk about a lot in their art, in their music. Do you see a sort of direct line between the kind of crews that you're talking about from the mid-2000s, the, the urching and the music coming out from the current crop of drill rappers like 1-4? For sure. It's constructed from the remnants of outsiders in Australian society. You know, that whole culture thrives on being, you know, neglected, rejected, uh, living in poverty. And that's, that doesn't have a colour, you know, a race or creed. Because they were involved in that culture, they're representing that culture and that's why they use the language and the apparel and they look the same. If you asked one for, they might not say that it, there is a direct hmm. line from Enter to what their latest album was, but the culture is definitely alive. 
mm. in both acts. Yeah, I, I think I think it's undeniable because that that scene is founded on Eshe culture. And why do you think that artists like One Four, this current crop of rappers, have been able to break through in a way that that first wave wasn't? For me, the most effective thing about them was that they were young islandy kids uh, spitting verses in an Australian accent. That was really shocking. And I think on, even on a global stage, people hadn't heard, uh, you know, black or brown people rapping in a heavy Aussie accent. They hadn't seen people, black or brown yeah. people speaking in a heavy Aussie accent. Which goes to what we were talking about before, which is what Australia projects of itself, right? Exactly. Like some of, those, some of those reaction clips from, like, you know, black dudes in the UK that are like, I didn't know Australia had Samoans. You yeah, know? Exactly. I didn't know Australia had these people. Because when does Australia talk about them? When do we when do we let people like that make art and succeed? In my uh, article for the monthly on one four, um, their manager Ricky actually speaks about this because he used to work for Emirates, and people just couldn't comprehend that he was Australian because because he's an Indonesian. Yeah, background. exactly. Yeah. yeah, and he was like he realized very early on that it was the way Australia markets itself. It's like it markets itself one way and then when anything kind of counters that narrative, it becomes a problem. But you think, um, I mean, obviously we should also say the actual skill and the, the music itself is Absolutely. superb. It's much better than a lot of the early rappers, purely on lyrics. The production value is very high for, the, for some of these guys. When they started, it was just... Um, you know, made at youth centres in Mount Truitt and stuff like that. Like, there's just, there's a lot of talent. The timing, you know, they jumped on the UK drill sound very early on. There was a lot of things that were at play. And then their videos were just pretty provocative. You know, mm. they were letting off flares outside the courthouse in Mount Truitt. You know, it's pretty, pretty radical. It's super radical. It's super fun to watch as well. And I think the other thing we should mention here that I think is fair to when we're talking about the gatekeepers and the institutions that have not supported groups like this. I think in the last few years, we have started to see some very small changes. I think in particularly of someone that we know and respect, Hal, uh, who hosts the hip hop show on mm-hmm. Triple J, who now has a record label imprint as well. He was part of Coolism. He won the first ever ARIA award for hip hop back when it was still called the Urban Award. And he, having succeeded and reached a position of some kind of influence, has been very dedicated to helping and support for people sure. like himself or people from similar backgrounds up into the industry. For sure. But there's, I mean, he can't do everything on his own. You know, he's a one-hour show on Triple J once a week, you know, that so many people listen to. Hmm. Why, why isn't there more hip-hop on the radio? Hip-hop is as big as pop music. Hmm. It's bigger than pop music. Why, hip-hop is the biggest genre in the world there, right how now. How is there yeah. only one one-hour slot? Yeah. Especially in Australia, like... I went on the Sydney Morning Herald's um, music page this morning just to see. There wasn't in the, in the whole list of articles under music for the first page. There was only one article about a black or brown artist, and it was it was Millie Vanilli. Like is like is that our day? Like yeah. is that like it's insane? And then you see all this stuff about Delta Goodrum, and it's like, bro, Delta Goodrum's last five videos on YouTube. Don't even make up the last one four like the yeah, street right. guide one four <laughs> song like all of them combined wow. don't, don't even wow. add up to street guide by one four which was released the same year. I noticed this when um you know the kid Leroy who's a is a young rapper from from Waterloo. Um, he had to headline Saturday Night Live to get a feature story written about him. Oh, 
So when he was on Saturday Night Live, it was the same day that Elon Musk was guest hosting and Miley Cyrus was doing a performance as well. Every story I read, bar one in the Australian media, the Kid Leroy was the smallest part of that story. Like, this is a teenager from Australia, from Waterloo, who has made it. He's got the, you know, he's charted on the billboard charts. Off his own back, too. Absolutely. But it's sad. Like, this is arguably the most significant moment for Australian music, you know, to have kind of ever happened. I can't think of a more significant moment in Australian music history than this current one. And it's being ignored completely. Well, let's do what we can to redress it. I mean, when you're looking at the scene right now, we've talked a lot about 1-4. Who are some of the other artists in the sort of drill space or the contemporary hip-hop space that you think are flying a bit under the radar or deserve more attention or props for the work that they're doing? Well, I think Young and Lips, definitely. Like, he just won the April Award for, um, I think it was, like, most listened to hip-hop track. But he's showing a different side to the areas, you know? He still rocks the Gucci hat. He's still got all the essays behind him. He still says lad. But he's he's kind of like a crooner. He sings, love, like, these beautiful love songs. Yeah, you are so important, baby. Really inspiring to see um, someone from neighbourhoods like that sing songs like that with their heart on their sleeve and it just be embraced by the whole community, not be kind of dismissed or like put on as like, you know, it's not macho enough or anything. It shows how sophisticated the mm. audiences are. Like the the Can you tell me a bit about his his background, his area? Where's he from? He's from Cabramatta. Um, it's southwest yeah, so Sydney. Yeah, yeah. He's from Cabramatta. And you know, he's he had a really rough upbringing. He's just dropped a new track called Spaceships. I'm on a spaceship. He's had, you know, insane, like, 20 million streams. You know, OVO reached out to to his people. Like, he's really... There there are these artists who are really taking off in big ways and it's really embarrassing that we haven't given them the critical attention as well as just reporting on on, what's going on. Yeah, like it's absurd that that Delta Goodrum has gotten more coverage than someone like Young and Lips. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I really love Snowy Badman. Tell us Snowy's story because it's quite extraordinary. Well, he was the first Australian to release an EP from inside a maximum security prison. Tell a batty man them shuts up. Yeah, I'm in the flats, bag full of caps. If I don't know you, man, fuck off. Hop it like what? Pop, pop, pop. Six shot knock your block off. Pumping on school like Raga. Beanie man and Shabba. Got my big shank, my Shabba. Man, I swing that, get stab up. He had a discman where he would listen to uh, a 21 Savage track and he would just try to ignore what 21 Savage was saying and just listen to the beat. And then he would write bars and then 
call up a producer and spit bars with like hit the phone in one ear and the headphone piece in the other over the beat while ignoring 21 Savage and then the producer would take that those vocals and match the 21 Savage beat and basically construct this EP. That's it's, wild. It's incredible. That is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And in the meantime he's 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 got this towel in the mainstream yard of Golden Prison wrapped around his head trying to get everyone to stay quiet <laughs> in a maximum security prison yard that's outdoors. It's pretty pretty amazing feat. And and what's the what's the music like? Is it is he again, is it is it um him rapping about, you know, his experiences, his life? Yeah, it's it, it's really, really visceral kind of details of, you know, violence. And he's the perfect person to illustrate that because his whole world has been constructed by violence. He's been in and out of prison since he was something like 13. Mm. Um, he's, his last stint has been a brick, like 10 years long. Wow. Um, and so he's, you know, absorbed a lot of the institutional kind of brutality that system has kind of forced upon him. I just keep the word that's lock off. Free me in the gang. Fuck to the feds. Man fuck around got lock up. I was with a gang. Jumping that strap. Like a madman I'm robber. Now I'm doing 10. Shout out to the judge. No fake boy that's lock off. And so he, he recites that in his music and tries to bring to life the attitude uh, of you know what survival he tries to illustrate what survival looks like mm. in a system like that, mm. and it's it's bloody. So, Mahmoud, when you're when you sort of survey the lay of the land now, it does feel like these artists that we're talking about are getting more attention, more props, more listens, more streams than at any other point in Australia within the similar genre space. Even if that's happening outside of the mainstream institutions and structures, do you think? that we are at a tipping point where we might end up seeing just the fact that people love this music, that it connects to them, that there are so many people in Australia that are waiting to have their stories told in this way. And that's obviously why so many of these artists are popular. You know, you talked about Young and Lips having 20 million streams, one, four videos are ballistic every time they go up. Do you think that will just propel this genre into mainstream consciousness? Or do you think that there's still a long way to go? I think without the support from the institutions, it will never break through. I think in the UK and in America, um, hip-hop is embraced by um, the press and the institutions, the awards and everything. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's still embraced and it still works within that system. Here, it's like it doesn't really even exist. And I fear that the momentum that has been generated at the moment will fizzle out really quickly if, you know, we don't support this this culture that's really come from nothing. Well, hopefully people listening to this episode will be encouraged, I guess, to at least suss it out if you've never heard any of this music. It is, it's powerful, it's important. I think it's some of the most compelling art being made in Australia right now. And it's fun. It's not always serious. It's like, the you know, it's fun. It's machismo. It is what it is. Mahmood. Thanks so much for joining me on The Culture Today to talk everything hip-hop in Australia. Much love, my bro. Thanks for listening to the show. 
The Culture will be back in your feeds next week. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at theculture.pod. Feel free to recommend topics you think we should be covering. The Culture is a weekly show from Schwartz Media. It's produced by Bez Zoder and Atticus Basto. Our editor-in-chief is Eric Jensen, and our theme music is by Hermitude. I'm Osman Faruqi. See you next time. Hold up. 